Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Mike Wilkinson, better known as the value selling expert and director of Axia Value Solutions, a value selling consultancy based in the UK for providing value consulting services worldwide. Mike, he's a value sales and marketing veteran of Frost and Sullivan and an author of the book, Value-Based Pricing. And he also has a new book, his latest book, The Challenge of Value, and that's available on Amazon as well. Welcome, Mike. Uh, Tom, thank you very much indeed. Um, little unhappy about the veteran. It makes me sound even older than I actually am. <laughs> we, we both have a good amount of gray hair and it's well, well earned, my uh, You've been looking. Um, I love origin stories and um, I got into value selling because I was a product marketer and a product manager and didn't have a choice if I wanted my products to sell through enterprise sales. Um, tell me how you got your start in value selling? Um, well, I, I, I've obviously been very much into selling uh, for the vast majority of my career. And then I moved into sales training and the, the value component of it, I guess, in a roundabout sort of a way, developed over a pint of Guinness um, at, at Dublin University. Probably, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And I was uh, working with some colleagues delivering a summer school at Dublin University for a, a large pharma company and it was kind of around value and we were talking about value and uh, my to-be business partner and I were discussing all things value and really decided that we had a, a real mutual interest in it and that's that's really where it started and then really by chance, about two or three weeks after that, I was talking at a conference in Copenhagen uh, with a group of chemical engineers, fairly senior account managers. And the night before the conference, all I ever heard them talking about was what great value that they delivered to their customers. Um, so <laughs> the next day, I thought, here is an opportunity to really begin to get into this subject. So I asked them what value was. And that really began my journey because the reality was they didn't know. They knew they delivered great value or that's what they told me, but they never actually really understood what it meant. Yeah, so and the, their ability to codify it probably was, was not adequate at all, right? The, there was no ability to codify it. The, what I actually did, Tom, I got them, there were about 120 of these guys, and I, they were all around sort of circular tables, sort of banqueting style. And I said, right, guys, what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to come up with a, a uh, if you like, an Oxford English dictionary definition of what value is. So I'm looking for a sentence which begins with the words value is. And you can probably imagine that I had quite a lot of different definitions and that clearly they were struggling because they didn't really know. Uh, but out of that conference came the definition that I now use all the time. And, and you're going to say, what is it? Yeah, what is that <laughs> definition? <laughs> well, I, as I said, I decided what I'd do is that I would read these definitions out. They, they all wrote them on a card, and I, I turned the cards over. I got halfway through this deck, and I, in front of me was a card with four words on it, and two of them were value is. So you can imagine, after about hmm. 20 minutes of deliberation, um, <laughs> I didn't think they'd done much. But it is what makes the value definition for me now. And the words were value is a mystery hmm. and that was it 
And I, at the time, I thought this is ridiculous. Uh, but actually, the more I began to think about it, the more I began to realize that value is a mystery because value is defined by the customer. And if we don't understand how the customer is defining value, we are assuming that our perception of the value of value is the same as theirs. So I would, I, from that came the thought that actually our number one job is to solve the, the value mystery. I love it. Absolutely love it. And you're right. Our perspective of what value is, although we need to understand what our perspective is, because it does give us some context, um, how it manifests itself for that particular prospect is key to understand and to know. And as you said, to kind of be Nancy Drew and, and solve that mystery. Mm, absolutely. And you are right. Of course, we need to understand what we think our value is mm -hmm. so that we're well positioned to communicate that value once we understand how <laughs> our customers define value. Uh, but you'll know what's coming next. And the problem is, all too frequently, that I find that sellers still talk product first rather than customer first. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we see that time and again, they'll walk in and, you know, up pops the slide deck about who they are, uh, the company history, uh, the logo, the logo tombstone page, and uh, very little bit about what you need to do, uh, I assume, uh, pretty early on, which is value discovery. So I know you've got some simple steps that you yeah. think a seller should leverage to um, engage with customers the right way, right from the start. And I'm sure that those steps don't include about us and the customer tombstone page. Uh, strangely enough, they don't. I mean, like you, I'm sure I've seen some absolutely monumental corporate presentations. And it always, it always amazes me why, why people who are delivering these things don't look around at their audience to see that everybody's fallen asleep. Yeah, they're too busy looking at the slides trying to read them, unfortunately, Mike. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, 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 always, I approach all of these things from the perspective that my job is to simplify the complex, not complicate the simple. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are some great value selling processes out there. Um, but when I was looking at it, I thought, yeah, there really are only four things happening here. And that's what has become my, my value sales process. Now, it would be unfair to suggest that it is that simple because clearly under each step, there's a lot going on. It is a bit like, you know, the sort of duck sailing serenely across the pond whilst paddling like hell underneath. Mm -hmm. um, but the four steps basically are, number one is, um, and everybody will recognize these, qualify the opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, there are, there are loads of sophisticated ways of doing that. But really, what you're trying to do is to come up with the answer to two questions, I think. Anyway, number one, do we want this business? Because not all business is good business. Mm -hmm. And number two, realistically, can we win it? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so if the answer to either of those is no, then stop. Because all you're doing is investing time, money, and effort into opportunities you either don't really want to win or realistically can't win. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's now, now I noticed that the qualification part is not kind of the traditional band, right? Because a lot of times they won't have budget necessarily for what um, you're proposing initially, right? You have to almost yep. create budget nowadays. So, but I like how you've simplified it to. Um, do we want the business and can we win it as opposed to kind of the traditional qualifiers that, that have been used in the past? 
Well, I mean, as I said, there are lots of different ways of going about that qualification process, but I think those are the two questions you need answering. Um, because without, if, if, you, if the answer to either of those is no, as I said, it doesn't matter how much budget they've got, you still either don't want it or can't win it. Yeah, totally true. And so number two in the engagement steps. Is the most important. Once you've qualified the opportunity and you have got quality opportunities going into your pipeline, the next stage is the value discovery bit. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, this is absolutely the heart of the value sales process. For me, the selling takes place in the value discovery stage of the process. And it takes place just because the seller, the, the buyer rather, is answering your well-crafted questions and in doing so is moving towards the conclusion that they need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So I think there are two things really going on there. One is clearly identifying who the key people are. Um, I mean, the latest bit of research I saw was that 6.8 people are involved in the decision-making process. My suspicion is, particularly today, there's probably more people getting their fingers in the pie. Absolutely. Um, getting involved. And all that does, frankly, is complicate things. <laughs> um, so the, the key question for me always when I'm selling value is the one person or the one group of people I need to identify more than any other is the group or the individual who will benefit the most from the value that I can deliver. <laughs> Because if I have identified that individual group, they will do a lot of my work for me internally, and they will help me navigate the sheer complexities of the decision-making process. Absolutely. And it's, and again, you see, often when I talk to sales guys, they, they forget that today, very, very rarely are they around when the purchase decision is made. Mm -hmm. It's made, you know, when we're, when we're miles away. So and we, as you said, there's this big committee. And in fact, Gartner research indicates that enterprise purchases can be, you know, 11 to 15 people, almost double, uh, with many of those people um, hidden or coming in and out of the decision-making process. So um, you're only, it's almost like an iceberg where you're, you're dealing with those one or two or three people who you're meeting with regularly one of those being kind of the mobilizer and champion and a couple of other key uh, contributors. And underneath is this, um, you know, vast mass of other decision makers that ultimately need to be convinced. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, this takes us well away from what, what you, we may have originally thought of as traditional selling. This is about navigating, you know, corporate politics, mm -hmm. um, about understanding whose axes are being ground at any particular time, really identifying who the influencers are. Because, uh, again, there are always two things I think that are important. One is un understanding who's going to be involved. But the second bit is understanding the how. H how is the decision going to be made? Yeah. And on the value discovery piece, each of those stakeholders has um, what Jim Ninavaji, um, ex-serious decisions used to say, it was a unique point of value. Um, value is different, not only from us to the customer as a whole, but within the customer, each one of these stakeholders might have a, a vastly different perception of value. Uh, to IT, it might be reducing total cost of ownership in the data center. To the person in operations, it might be reducing day sales outstanding with the solution. So those are completely different value propositions uh, that your solution might deliver. 
but you've got to understand that those two stakeholders are key in the decision-making process and you have to address those unique points of value and find that out in the value discovery. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The, the way I, I say to people, just imagine uh, that you, you, you're, in, you're in Paris and you arrive at the Eiffel Tower, you get up to the top and you discover that unfortunately you've left your camera or your mobile phone these days, you've <laughs> left your camera down at the bottom. So, and you don't know how to record this. So you say to the family, you say, right, what I want you to do, you look west and make a note of everything that you can see. You look east, you look south and I'll look north. So that when we get down, we'll all have a great idea of what we've seen. And at the end of the day, when you get down to the bottom, you've all got a completely different perspective from, of what you've seen. But you've all seen Paris. And it's exactly the same in a business. Everybody see, they may all be working for the same business, but they see things within it in a completely different way. Completely agree. On the discovery piece, uh, you know, there's some interesting metrics that go with that. Uh, 57% of buyers indicate that their sales reps could do a much better job of discovery. So the majority of buyers don't think that sellers do a good discovery job overall. And one in five buyers indicate that their sales reps have a poor understanding of their business needs as a result. And that's primary intelligence with those figures. So um, as you said, it's the most important piece of doing value as item number two, but it's probably the one that uh, needs the most work from an enablement perspective. It's, uh, I, I totally agree. I mean, for me, it is absolutely at the heart of the value sales process is value discovery. Mm -hmm. um, and it is on the whole not being done, I would suggest particularly well. And the, the figures you just quoted would tend to support that view. Absolutely. And I can remember, I know it's a few years ago, but there was a, um, a statement in a piece of Forrester research from a senior buyer who said that only 12% of the meetings that he has with salespeople have any value. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> I've used that same stat uh, a lot to prove a point. <laughs> What the heck is going on? I mean, that means that 88% of meetings are a waste of time. And I, might, I say to sales guys, if you are in that 88%, you should be hanging your head in shame mm -hmm. because there's no excuse for it at all. Yeah, and I think they're going to be looking for a new job perhaps soon, well, unfortunately. Well, right now, I mean, it, you know, unfortunate as it may be, the, the, pe the people who are really delivering are the people who will stand out in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you have. I've had some interesting conversations with people over the last few days over exactly that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, time, times are tough. So uh, if you are in that 88%, it's time to very, very quickly do something about it and make sure that when you're in front of a customer, uh, either, either these days on a Zoom call or <laughs> let's hopefully one day get back face to face. But when you're there, you're adding great value. Completely agree. And you need to think about that value that you're going to add ahead of the call. Um, make sure that you're delivering it in the call and then certainly making sure you're communicating it and reinforcing it post the call. Now we got through number one and two, and then we got sidetracked. Well, um, we did, yeah. So no issues. So one was qualify the opportunity. Two was value discovery. And now we're up to item number three. So once you've discovered what is important to the prospect, what challenges they're looking to solve and the value ultimately that you can deliver, uh, what is number three? Well, I've, I think before you move to number three, you have to earn the right 
to do it. And by that, I mean, I, I think one of the great skills of effective sellers is the ability to summarize. And I think before we move from value discovery, the very last thing we should be doing is summarizing back to the customer. So these are the things, these are the issues, the challenges that you're facing right now. This is the impact those issues are having on your business. Mm -hmm. monetized as much as humanly possible because yeah, we pain, call that the cost of do nothing. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah, that, that pain, the monetary pain is what will create motivation to do something mm -hmm. uh, more so than the potential gain that you might have. So there may be some benefit there, obviously. Uh, but the last bit is given the scale of the issue and the impact it's having on your business, are you committed to doing something about it? And because I think getting commitment from the customer is just so, so important. Um, virtually every seller you meet will, can, can tell you stories of having spent ages working up proposals, presentations, putting solutions together, and ultimately getting absolutely nowhere. Mm -hmm. And primarily, it's because we never, ever got commitment from the customer that they were on board and committed to doing something about it. I love it. So here again, at step one, you had a gate. Now again, at step two, before you meet a step through, there's a uh, deciding factor to move I, on, and, and I, I think, think that's important. Yeah, look, these days, time, you know, most of us don't have the resources to pursue every conceivable opportunity. We have to be selective, uh, and so selecting those that are increasingly likely to move forward are the ones that are important. But you're right. I put off telling you that step three is value demonstration. So you've got qualify the opportunity, value discovery, and the next step is value demonstration. And that is the logical bit where you actually demonstrate that you can do the things that the customer wants done. You monetize the value that you are going to deliver to them as a result of that solution. Uh, you do all the things that potentially you may need to do. You might need to do formal presentations. You might need to put together formal proposals. All of those things are part of value demonstration. And this is important because um, you might have discovered that there's a big pain, but customers, particularly when times get tight, uh, people become very risk averse at spending yeah. any money. Um, can you do it becomes a really important question to answer because they do not want to take any risk. And if they were putting their job on the line before, now with times even tighter, um, their neck is certainly on the line with uh, committing to a proposal that doesn't work and doesn't deliver the bottom line impact that's anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I look at, at value propositions, I, th I, th I think value propositions need to meet three key criteria. Um, number one, they have to resonate with the customer. In other words, that value proposition needs to demonstrate that you can address the challenges and the issues that you've identified so that the customer can look at it and say, yeah, I can see how this could actually help me. Mm -hmm. Number two, it needs to differentiate you so that the customer can say, well, yeah, maybe there are other solutions potentially available, but this one definitely looks the one that can deliver. And then the final bit is you have to substantiate. Yeah. And, and that's the bit that you're talking about, because if you can't substantiate, people in a risk-averse risk environment are going to say, it's just not worth the risk. I, you know, I'm not putting my head on the line. It, yeah. it might be a great solution, but, you know. And we tend to call that evidence um, yeah, in the evolver parlance, yep. And providing that evidence of um, 
the best way I've seen to do it is you can certainly have kind of analyst evidence and research that you've delivered those savings. Maybe an analyst went and studied a whole bunch of different customers. And I think that's, that's effective, but the most effective is if you can show some relevant success stories of companies just like them that you've solved the same problem for and got um, results similar to the ones that you're proposing. You totally agree. I think really good quality case studies are essential. And, and yet, I, I don't know about you, but very often when, when I'm looking around, the quality of case studies is, is generally really quite poor. And particularly when it comes to value, right? Um, mm -hmm. They'll show conceptually how you help that company, but they don't get to outcomes. They don't get to quantifiable um, metrics that um, to me uh, matter when you're trying to come up with a compelling value prop and prove to a company that you can actually deliver. If all of your success stories are visionary, here's a company, they had this challenge, we implemented this great solution for them and oh, they're happy with that solution or it, the solutions being used. Okay, great. Um, that's bar one, you know, they're happy and it's being used. All right, what are the outcomes? What, what's actually occurred in the business that uh, justified them spending a million dollars? You've got to, you know, I think get to quantified value uh, success stories um, to provide that evidence. Otherwise they're they're feel-good stories, which are good too, because there's an emotional sense to it. Mm -hmm. But logic is going to reign with a lot of these buyers when times get tight and frugalomics are in effect. And we've I, got I was, yeah, I completely agree. Emotions are always a component part of the buying decision. But right now, I mm -hmm. think logic is going to reign supreme, isn't it? I completely agree. And you've got gatekeepers that are set up just to make sure logic remains supreme. So uh, that's there. Now I want to make sure we've got time. Number four. So after you've demonstrated value that you can do it and you've quantified the value that's uh, to be delivered and you provide maybe proof of concept, statement of work, the success stories, what's that last step, step four? <laughs> the last step is for many people, the most difficult. It's delivering the value. So it's the value delivery bit. So you've got qualify the opportunity, value discovery, value demonstration, and then finally value delivery. And, and that really is the, the, the simple bit of delivering on your value promise. Completely agree. And with that, um, we're seeing some of the leading companies that we're working with and um, start to do realized value. Uh, realized ROI, going back in in the quarterly business reviews that used to revolve around, oh, are you happy with the solution? What are you hearing from your users? How many people adopted it? Um, making sure that it's being used to now uh, being much more about here's the value that you're getting out of that solution. And by the way, here's the value that you're leaving on the table. Uh, which is presenting expand selling opportunities. So for the people that aren't adopting it, here's what the extra value could be if you could get them to adopt it uh, the way that they're supposed to be using the solution or here's the value of incremental features. So in the delivering value piece, you know, my perspective is, is that you absolutely have to quantify that value because the prospects won't, uh, your customers won't know how to quantify the value on their own. And then two, it's a great opportunity for expand selling. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, I think one of the first things you should be doing before you move into value delivery is agreeing with the customer, the KPIs you are going to use to determine whether you are delivering the value that you promised or not. 
completely agree. And a lot of times those measures and values aren't aren't defined. Oh, Even right. if you've done the business case up front, once the delivery occurs, uh, the business case gets tucked in a drawer. It's got all the signatures on it that it needs to to get the approval. And then no one goes back and looks at it again and says, hey, did we actually get what we were supposed to? But I think savvy CFOs are going to be doing oh, that nowadays, I mean, right? Yeah. I, 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 for me, there's two, two parts to this. Number one, we as the supplier, we should be checking and making sure we are delivering the value we promised. Because to be honest, our credibility depends upon our ability to do that. And if we are not delivering it, then in conjunction with the customer, we should be coming up with plans as to how we're going to do it. Completely agree. On the uh, other side, when we are delivering great value, we <laughs> really need to consistently remind the customer that we are delivering on our promise. Yep. Because the one, the one thing I've discovered about customers is that when things are going wrong, they're very quick to tell you. But when things are going right, you, <laughs> you never hear from them. <laughs> I know. And we need to remind them. I mean, many of us are selling subscription services now. And um, the selling does not stop with the sale. Uh, it's a continuous sales process. And you can't wait till the last minute to prove the value you delivered right before renewal. It's got to be a continuous right. just part of the motion. And that's why we're suggesting this delivery, delivering the value and proving the value on an ongoing basis just needs to be a part of the quarterly business reviews as a best practice. Um, but a lot of customer success groups kind of aren't equipped to do that yet, uh, which I yeah. think is a great opportunity. I've changed, I've changed the name of the quarterly business review now to the quarterly value review. I love it. QVRs instead of yeah, QBRs. QBRs instead of QBRs. I still have an issue with, with review anyway, because reviews tend to be backward looking. Mm -hmm. and you know, we should be forward looking predominantly, but, but clearly there is some value in looking. Exactly. And that's one of the things <laughs> of where I mentioned, you know, not just looking at the value that has been delivered, but projecting the value for, mm. well, if we were able to improve adoption and, and using the full features, what could we get if we were able to license more users? So, so making sure that it's forward looking, I think that's a great point. So value selling, definitely critical when buyers are more frugal, more economic focused, more risk averse. Um, what do you see as the major challenge? What do you see as the major challenge that solution providers need to work on to uh, implement value selling the right way? I think yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, the, to my way of thinking, there is no question that, that selling on value involves a, a behavioral change. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, it, it, there is a transformation, I think, in sales approach from a product first to a customer first process. And, and it sounds very simple, uh, but, but that is the major transformation that we need many of them to go through. And I think picking up on some of the things that you've been saying as well, Tom, it is clear to me also that people need to be much more commercially astute and aware than perhaps they have been in the past. And that goes alongside all the other uh, great skills that effective salespeople need to have. I know it's definitely a craft and it needs to be ah. refined over time. And um, we're facing quite a challenge for many salespeople with frozen budgets and uh, constrained spending, uh, more gatekeepers involved. And uh, you've got to really hone your craft, I think in, in these times around value selling to get over those hurdles that weren't there just a couple of months ago.
Yeah, I mean, you could argue that the, that the current situation really does provide people with a with an opportunity to sit back and take stock and really think about how they go about doing the things that they do. Um, again, I don't know whether you agree with this, but one of the things I, I tend to see with sellers particularly is that they are really not very good at reflection. Mm -hmm. They're not good at coming out of a, a customer call and instead of just doing all the admin and chucking the briefcase on the back seat, just spending five or 10 minutes just thinking about how it went. You know, what did I do well that I'm going to do again? What didn't go quite so well that I need to work on? Mm -hmm. Very, very few of them really adopt a structured way of doing that. So I always say to, to the salespeople that I'm involved with, please just commit to spending five or 10 minutes after you've been on a call, whether it's a phone conversation, a video call, uh, a face-to-face -face meeting, whatever it is, just learn something from the experience. Yep, instead of jumping into that next activity because you think yeah. you're forced to do so, which they tend to do, right? It's like, okay, that's done now. I've got the next activity, the activity after. And some of it is the matic nature of how we manage them. Um, yeah. So I don't blame you know individual sellers, but the best sellers are those that are uh, self-realizing and self-reflecting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So if you had one piece of advice that you'd like to leave our Evolver audience with today, Mike, what would that be? Uh, the, <laughs> well, there isn't one. There's hundreds of them. But I think, actually, I suppose that just to recognize that, that, that selling value isn't just a sales function. I, I think value selling is very much a, a team game and it involves everybody in the business mm -hmm. because I think everybody in the business needs to recognize what their role is in understanding, creating and delivering great value to your customers. So, uh, yeah, it, I think the one piece of advice would be it's a team game. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much. Mike is the author of Value-Based Pricing and his latest book, The Challenge of Value. Both are available on Amazon. If you enjoyed some of the tips and tricks and uh, methodology that Mike presented today, his books are loaded with them. And I think they would be great reads to advance your value selling game. Uh, Mike, how can folks reach out to you online? Uh, well, I guess there's two ways. One is to visit the website, which is www.axiavalue.com. That's A-X-I-A, axiavalue.com. But it would be great just to hear from people direct. So my email address is mwmikew at axiavalue.com. Awesome. And we will also include your LinkedIn link uh, in the uh, description. So I encourage everyone to reach out to Mike. He's got great wisdom to share on value selling and uh, the practices that you need to, exceed, uh, to succeed. Thanks so much, Mike. Tom, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.